on a mission to, 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 to build this kind of capture resistant, censorship resistant kind of base layer of infrastructure for all of Web3, um, you know, you kind of have to have this kind of pirate mentality, right? And, and we lost a little bit of that. And as a result, I think um, it's a pro tip, uh, hiring really fast doesn't mean you ship faster. Uh, it yeah. creates more creates more process. Um, uh, and uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, you have your best people um, uh, you know, almost wasting time um, uh, helping, helping uh, or not having the ability to kind of just move and execute build. Good day to all of the listeners. This is Jim Barnish, and it's time to dive into another episode of The Dirt. Today's guest experienced some of the highest of highs and lowest of lows of entrepreneurship. He's our first guest to have a unicorn valuation, one of the highs, but that was tempered by macro conditions and general volatility of his sector, blockchain tech. The company is Pocket Network. The founder, CEO, and guest is Michael O'Rourke. And Michael walks us down his path of hyper growth, simplifies the nomenclature of Web3 and blockchain, and more on this episode of The Dirt. My favorite part of this episode is when Michael and I jam on replacing key leadership and how hard it can be to make that call. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to our sponsor, Orchid Black's LinkedIn page, so that you don't miss any of the clips and follow-up content that we will be posting in the coming weeks. Okay, uh, Michael, I have known you for quite a few years, and your story is a pretty damn good one. So let's let's take it from the top and bring us back to the early days of Pocket. Yeah, thanks for, for having me, Jim. Glad we get to have the, the opportunity to have uh, the conversations we, we we generally have uh, just uh, just recorded um, <laughs> early early days of pocket. Um, well, I suppose it'd probably be better to give a little bit of background because it really starts at my kind of uh, uh, crypto or really Bitcoin journey before there was crypto or Web three. Um, you know, I'm from the Dominican Republic and I moved to Tampa, Florida when I was when I was two years old, but. Um, there's a couple of things in my life that led me to Bitcoin in, in 2013. Uh, one of those uh, being, you know, having used Western Union, feeling that pain of sending money uh, to family members um, uh, over, over, over that service. And I also worked at a, uh, at a credit union, a couple of credit unions here uh, in Tampa, Florida, um, selling loans. And, and you kind of see thousands. I saw thousands of credit reports uh, throughout that those couple of years selling loans, you know, car loans. You know, uh, credit cards, these sorts of things. And you kind of see how uh, uh, crappy the financial system can be for some people. And that kind of primed me nicely for uh, discovering Bitcoin in, in 2013. I really read it off of a Wired article and ended up in the Bitcoin subreddit, read Satoshi's white paper, and immediately drank the Kool-Aid and, and, and felt like this was something that uh, could be world changing, and it's pretty remarkable to see, you know, basically ten years later, having uh, discovered it and, and starting to just originally just buy Bitcoin. There was really nothing else I could do at the time. Uh, I wasn't uh, uh, technical or developer at the time, so so I was really just reading a lot and and you know buying Bitcoin on Coinbase at the time. But you know, from there, I uh, I learned to code. I was an iOS developer for for a few years. And uh, that was a, a, a fun um, journey. I actually studied international studies in, in college at USF. Uh, so I went from basically a history degree to, to learning to code. And uh, from there, uh, ended up at a startup in Sarasota, Florida, where I met my, my co-founders. And this was in, in 2016, uh, 2015, 2016 timeframe. And uh, for the first time, I met a group of people that covered for my own weaknesses. I had tried to start lots of little things in the past by myself and, you know, none of it got past, uh, even the, the proof of concept phase before I, I, I gave up or, or, or just lost interest. So for the first time I had this group of three others, so four total that, uh, we really just bonded and, and, and were able to build something really interesting at the startup. Uh, and through that process, uh, uh, getting really close and starting to to think about uh, what else we could do uh, after kind of our time at that startup had um, uh, had had reached its conclusion. So you know, late 2016, uh, this was after the DAO hack uh, on Ethereum. If you're familiar with that, this was probably the most existential 
risk that Ethereum had ever been in, uh, even to this day. Um, things could have gone uh, wildly different at the time. But uh, for us, we were just excited to be experimenting and uh, writing some smart contracts. Uh, I was learning Solidity at the time. I started the Tampa Bay blockchain developer meetup. I was I was trying to, you know, really, as I was learning by teaching uh, is, is really kind of the, 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 the main impetus there. And I started kind of going through the idea maze of, okay, we're getting deeper into this Web3 Ethereum thing. Um, uh, what can we build? And I don't know if you've ever read the blog post, I believe, by Chris Dixon, but uh, he has he has this post called The Idea Maze. And, and we were effectively going through this process as we were experimenting, you know, doing some random smart contracts. We had an original idea called Telcoin, where we wanted to, to tokenize your cell phone data and uh, basically incentivize uh, people to spin up these like 5G cell towers. But uh, as we dove deeper into that idea, we felt like it was a little, little early. Um, you know, we even looked into building, you know, an MVNO, uh, mobile virtual network operator, where you know, Verizon and these folks have to, you know, by law have to have to lease you their 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 their, their bandwidth. Um, and through that process, we kind of stumbled across Pocket. Uh, and for context, to understand how uh, uh, this works, you know, if you're a regular software developer um, and you deploy some code. Um, you know, on a server somewhere, generally that code can be changed, uh, you know, with a quick uh, uh, push and an and update, right? Uh, what was really, truly mind-blowing about being able to deploy my first smart contract is, is deploying this, this Hello World contract that um, uh, only I could edit or only I could adjust. Um, and the fact that this has lived on this decentralized computer that... You know, no one really knew how it worked, but we just knew that, you know, I could deploy the smart contract and, you know, I could give it whatever rules I wanted. I could say, you know, only me or only specific people or, you know, you could send money to it and, you know, you could actually program that money. And this just got incredibly expired and, and excited. And, and, and I had read throughout the years um, a bunch of different uh, forum threads. There's a couple really original forums, particularly the Bitcoin talk forums and, um, the ETH research forums. And if you go down to the ETH research forums and, 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 and search for uh, incentivizing full nodes, you might see a couple of posts from me from, from 2017 timeframe. But uh, there was this whole problem uh, that people were highlighting at the time where blockchains were getting more cumbersome to run. Um, you know, you're getting to 100, 100 gigs, half a gig, a terabyte, even in some cases. And uh, this kind of took away from the vision of allowing anyone to kind of operate their full node and, um, you know, kind of own your data, right? And, and the context I would put this in is, you know, web one was read, uh, web two was read and write. And I'd say web three is read, write and own, right? And, 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 and a big part of this vision was um, really to, to, to enable people to, to be able to access this data uh, from their nodes, right? But the problem is that the space started growing so fast that these nodes started getting so fat and big that they become they became impossible to run. And I think um, really the, the the one of the first people to kind of switch in this paradigm was was actually Coinbase back in like 2012 timeframe, where I remember reading uh, uh, an article or a story about the two co-founders of Coinbase and and one saying, "Hey, you know, uh, uh, this has to be maximally decentralized and." Um, uh, people need to run their own Bitcoin node to be able to transact on our software and our, our user experience. Whereas, you know, Brian Armstrong, who's the current CEO of, of Coinbase, was like, no, we should abstract that <laughs> from the end user because most people don't know how to run a node. Uh, and with a node, for just for further context, uh, it's really what you use to read and write to, uh, let's say, the Bitcoin blockchain. So you see all your transaction history, you see um, uh, where things went, uh, and it also allows you to actually submit a transaction to the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain. And um, really what Coinbase did was be the first or one of the first to uh, uh, to really become a big company with this kind of traditional Web2 paradigm shift where, you know, the company runs all the servers, the user experience, the users don't have to worry about it. They just click a couple buttons and buy and sell Bitcoin or trade Bitcoin or, or, or whatever it is. And really up until that time in 2017, that uh, model of infrastructure, uh, you know, the client server architecture, um, 
uh, just continue to proliferate. Um, and, and what's really interesting is that, and if you want to compare it to Web2, you have um, a bunch of companies that have to run their own servers, right? Because they have proprietary data. You know, that's their IP. That's their, you know, that, that's all their information that they own and they have to run. What's really interesting about the Web3 space is that all this data is open source. And if you think about um, optimizing what you're good at, you know, taking resources, you know, uh, uh, where you want to allocate resources as you're starting a startup or something like that, um, you don't want to have to run the infrastructure if you don't have to. So as a result, uh, from 2012 to 2017, uh, uh, really every DAP, every blockchain, everyone who uh, was building in, in Ethereum at the time was basically outsourcing their node infrastructure to just really one company at the time. And uh, this is really important because uh, we don't, we're, we're kind of in the space, I am in the space really to, to, to kind of avoid, let's call it capture of, you know, a couple entities, which is really, you know, we've got a couple of bottlenecks in, in the world today, whether it's in the financial rails or social media, or even, you know, Amazon web services, for example. And um, the important part about nodes is that they provide the most primitive substrate for people to be able to interact with blockchains. And uh, uh, if, if you, you know, listening, believe like I do that the space is going to be as big, if not bigger than the internet, uh, having a protocol, having an open public good that provides most of this infrastructure rather than a private company is a net benefit to the world. Um, uh, and, and having that optionality uh, rather than being locked into AWS or Google um, is just really critically important, um, I think, as we are really you know, rebuilding uh, some, por some portions of the internet here. Um, it's really interesting to see folks who are OGs in the early internet days in the late 80s, early 90s, get re-inspired to come back and build in the blockchain space because they actually see this kind of original idealist, uh, uh, idealistic uh, uh, excitement of, of what's possible now. And we're able to actually use this technology to, to build this kind of um, uh, 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 infrastructure, for lack of a better word, to uh, really be able to, 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 to provide um, not only something that is um, uh, let's call it capture resistant or censorship resistant, but actually cheaper and faster and uh, 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 more reliable as well. Uh, for you know, we wouldn't be building Pocket the way it is if we didn't think it could be better. Actually, um, uh, at the end of the day, and and I think that's one of the really big uh, benefits of um, kind of this when you hear the decentralization meme. Um, really, what it is 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 when you're when you're able to use a protocol that decentralizes some other industry or, or ver vec vertical or, or, or whatever you might think. Um, it's really because that other existing vector has become ossified and captured, right? Which is why Bitcoin really grew, right? Because uh, people are frustrated with the banks and financial system and an extremely ossified uh, uh, system as, you know, interestingly enough, the timing of our, of our conversation today, we're seeing some of the ramifications of that. And, and, and that's where really um, the space shines is, is, is really kind of breaking open and giving optionality for folks where they otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, but that's really kind of uh, how we think about Pocket. And, and that kind of really led us into um, really thinking about, okay, how do we build a blockchain or a protocol that can can do this, right? Um, and that really took a couple of years to, to really finalize the design before before we actually launched the thing. So you threw out this term Web3 a few times. Just for, for those listening that might not be an expert in the space, what is Web3 versus Web2 versus Web1.0? Yeah, so to take us, you know, I, I use uh, read, um, read, write and read, write, own as, as a metaphor, but I'm going to even take it a little bit higher, um, uh, a little bit more abstract. Um, I, I really view Web3 as a, a coordination technology that um, is really the first um, uh, internet native coordination technology. There's really only been a handful of these in the history of humanity that have continued to exist. Um, I think the first one uh, was the invention of religion, you know, depending on your timeline, you know, five, 10,000 years ago. Um, you know, thereafter, we saw the invention of uh, the government. You know, we saw kind of Pharaoh, you know, we went from God Kings to, you know, uh, to actual, you know, kings, to, you know, elected leaders and, and these sorts of things. And, and both religion and 
governments for their faults have actually coordinated humans to create a lot of value in the world, right? Um, and, and more recently, uh, in the 1600s, uh, the corporation was invented, right? And uh, I don't think there's any other invention um, uh, that has really created more value for humanity than, than the invention of, of the corporation. Uh, and, and I view blockchains at the same level of potential of religion, governments, and, and corporations, right? And, and these are institutions that have been around for you know, thousands of years, right? They're, they're not going anywhere, right? And, and what's really interesting, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's many others who, who have lost faith in, in many of our institutions. And there's just a, uh, there's a vacuum there. And I think we have a huge opportunity as, as, as people building in Web3 uh, to build new institutions that are more uh, adaptable to the world that we live in today. Um, uh, and these can take, these are going to take so many different forms in my, in my view. I, I frankly already view Bitcoin and Ethereum as, as some form of early institutions. Um, uh, you know, if you, if you draw a triangle between, uh, governments, religion, and the corporation, I would put blockchains right in the middle, uh, cause they take aspects from, from all three of them. You'll see the fervor that people latch onto for, for, for loving their, their chosen coin, um, You'll see the governance, the, the the way that these things, the rules that are that are uh, applied uh, at the very beginning of these protocols, because really a protocol is just following a set of rules, right? Um, uh, and you'll see that you know you've we've seen the 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 um, the value, the, the the business value, the, the just a raw um, economic value of these things go from as high as a, a couple trillion dollars, right? Uh, created out of thin air in thirteen years. <laughs> Uh, which is pretty, which is pretty mind blowing, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, uh, you know, you know, the timing and stuff like this, right? Like, you know, imagine being, you know, on year thirteen of the invention of the corporation, right? Um, that's pretty. It's pretty. It's it's a pretty special time, in my opinion. So so when you tell me, when you ask me, what is Web three? I, I really view it as um, a novel human coordination mechanism where people are incentivized to do things. Uh, within a defined set of rules, which is a protocol, right? And these things that people do create business, they create opportunity, they create economic value. Um, some don't, there's lots of scams out there, uh, but that's kind of the nature of uh, a nascent market, right? I mean, not too long ago, people were, were robbing banks in the wild west, right? Um, uh, and this is uh, really not too dissimilar, but uh, kind of for the, for the 21st century. Um, so, so web three, you know, and that, that kind of goes, you know, goes into this, read, write, own, um, uh, because at the end of the day, you know, you may own a part of a business, you may control, um, you know, through your vote, part of a government, right? Um, these sorts of things. And, and, and the real kind of novel kind of invention here is the ability to get a bunch of people to agree on something who these people have no idea who they are, where they're from, what their background is, you know, what their religious political affiliation is. No one cares, right? Because we're all kind of incentivized to do something. Um, uh, uh, and that goes kind of, it, it goes above kind of the traditional, let's call it like social political, um, uh, barriers that, that we have today. And that for me is, is really what web three is. And it's just, uh, incredibly, incredibly exciting. So what really differentiates pocket in the space? You started heading there initially, and then we went on the web three tour uh, it, what, what, where, where does, where does pocket, where does pocket fit into this scheme of things? Yeah. So, uh, pocket is a, a middleware protocol. So, uh, we sit in between the software that is running on your application, uh, and the blockchain that that application is trying to connect with. So to use a really simple example, uh, you have an Ethereum wallet, for example, and that you open up your wallet on your phone and you see, Hey, uh, I have five ETH sitting in this wallet, right? Well, that for that data to show up on your phone, it might take, you know, 100 milliseconds. It might take 500 milliseconds. It might take a couple seconds for that data to load, right? That data has to come from somewhere. And using the kind of analogy I used before, traditionally, that data would come from a server that's owned by a company, right? Let's say, like, you know, uh, instead of my wallet balance, I see I have 10 likes, on Instagram. Well, that data comes from a server that's owned by Meta, right? In this case, that data comes from 
a full node, uh, which is basically just a database of all the information that's on a blockchain. And all Pocket does is sit in between the application and the blockchain and coordinates, again, coordination meme, um, coordinates the, the infrastructure to be able to provide and coordinates and incentivizes that infrastructure to be able to provide that data to the end user, right? And using a wallet as an example, I open it up, your uh, you know, phone makes a HTTPS request, it hits pocket network, it hits one of our uh, 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 node runners, and then our node runners are running an Ethereum node that has a balance of five ETH and then sends it right back up the same way it came. And that's all done within 150 to, to 200 milliseconds. Um, I, I kind of view, um, you know, if you're familiar with, with the OSI stack um, and kind of traditional uh, internet terms, um, uh, that goes from the software all the way down to the hardware and uh, the tight connections that, 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 that each layer has, or seven layers of, of the OSI stack. Um, Pocket is part of kind of this bottom layer of the OSI stack, uh, where we kind of, you know, a lot of people, everyone uses HTTP, HTTPS every day. Um, so many things happen uh, in the background from, you know, hitting Amazon Web Services, uh, Cloudflare, WordPress, there, there's so many different things that happen behind the scenes. And Pocket is one of these protocols that really enables that magic to happen at the end of the day, right? Um, you don't have to know, you know, who's providing the data. All you care is that, that you know, that balance showed, right? Or that you, you know, someone sent you Bitcoin or someone sent you Ethereum. You want to see that balance update um, that directly comes from services like ours. Um, so when you ask uh, uh, kind of what's, what makes Pocket different, um, you know, Today, 99% of the market uses uh, centralized uh, services that do the same thing that we do. They run nodes, they provide an API, and they provide that data to the end user uh, uh, through, the through the app that the developer built. The key difference is that instead of having a company that coordinates all this infrastructure, we have a protocol. Uh, and this company also has to charge margin on coordinating this. This costs money. They have OPEX, they have employees, they have salaries, right? Um, we have a protocol that rips out uh, the need to have all any of those employees and actually coordinates the infrastructure without taking rent. So it does this for free, <laughs> um, uh, which is which is one of the powers of having um, uh, things like smart contracts, right? As an example, mm -hmm. um, so we have this thing that coordinates the infrastructure without taking rent uh, by people on the supply side or people running the nodes, incentivized to provide that information. They earn our cryptocurrency and and. Um, uh, uh, like I said before, we're not building this so that it's, um, decentralized for decentralized sake. Uh, we felt that this could actually be faster, um, more reliable and, uh, significantly cheaper than, than kind of our, our centralized counterparts. And, you know, the market that we're in is, is, uh, is a commodity market at the end of the day. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, the margins are, are pretty low for folks who are running infrastructure on a centralized kind of capacity, right? Because this stuff is finicky. It's hard to run. It's you know, a huge pain. Um, uh, and they're also running it on the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Um, today about 70% of our network of about 22,000 nodes are running on, on bare metal, uh, which is about five times cheaper than the cloud. And even further, uh, I'd say a small single digit percentage of the network is actually running on owned infrastructure. So there's three tiers of kind of infrastructure here. There's the cloud, there's bare metal, and there's owned infrastructure. Um, uh, I expect bare metal to go up to 80, 90%. Uh, and then over time have that go down because the owned infrastructure um, uh, will go up uh, uh, as people get more comfortable and, 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 you know, say, spend a couple thousand bucks on, on purchasing some servers and running them in a data center or a colo basically. Um, and that's really our you know big advantage here is that, you know, some centralized entity, it's very, very unlikely that they're going to spend millions of dollars to purchase servers and manage them all around the world and operate them in co-locations. Um, uh, it's much more likely for an individual to spend a couple thousand dollars and have the market forces effectively incentivize people to get to those more efficient, cheaper, uh, cheaper setups. And that's really the power of blockchains and the power of incentives and, and coordination, which is why, again, I, I, I harp on, on the fact that these are, are coordination mechanisms that have markets uh, 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 completely um, intertwined with them. So what do, what do you think the 
future of Web3 infrastructure holds for businesses? Yeah, I think it's going to enable um, entirely new types of businesses with entirely uh, different types of cost structure. Um, uh, uh, you know, when I can pay one tenth of the cost for providing the scale or provided the same scale that I am today on the cloud, um, that just opens up massive opportunities for reinvestment, uh, for focusing on other types of things. Um, uh, really creative, I think, solutions are possible when you're kind of take a toolbox of different protocols of other middleware protocols where, you know, take a, you want to build a decentralized Twitter, right? Maybe I'll take Arweave or IPFS to store my data. Maybe I'll use Pocket as my RPC. Maybe I want to build a, an anonymous Twitter and I'll use NIM or, or some other protocol for, for, for privacy, for example. Um, it, it's what I see is basically a toolbox of different capabilities, very similar to when you go to the Amazon dashboard, you see like 30 different services. Uh, but these are all, let's say, Web3 native that um, uh, uh, will enable, um, I think, again, human coordination on a scale native to the Internet that we haven't seen before, uh, which is very exciting. We we may we may need to do a, a glossary of terms and acronyms launched alongside this podcast so that everyone isn't out there googling all this stuff at the same time. <laughs> yeah, pause me if you need to explain something or, or dive into something. I, I would have, but we just rolled through thirty or forty of them. I don't want to. I don't want to have the rest of the podcast me being a glossary. but no seriously that i mean there's some really there's some really interesting things that that you've called out i mean the osi model traditional infrastructure seven layer model uh you know comparisons to peeling an onion right um of the layers and in in an architecture stack things like that please i mean guys like these are important concepts that uh would be great to google alongside and we may actually end up putting together a uh, a package of glossary terms because there's a lot of there's a lot of good ones that you that you threw out there so before i become a, a syllabus or an encyclopedia overnight let me uh let me let me let me change the tune a little bit here and talk about um your growth and and pockets growth and you guys have have experienced some incredible shifts both macro in terms of the environment around web3 blockchain and and also you know regulatory alongside of that and and just in general the 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 growth and and slowing of the market in in the way that you've had to adapt and and shift and become a unicorn valuation at one point and then lower expectations for investors and all sorts of things like that 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 drive um can drive a ceo or a founder mad <laughs> right um because you're scaling up the team you're scaling down the team you're, you're you're instituting revenue you're focused on profitability so many things so so before i you know answer the question for you in my rant because i'm so familiar with what you've been through um the uh first let's start with what were the expectations of Pocket initially that you had in terms of growth compared to what ended up happening over the last few years? Yeah, so so just to contextualize a little bit, um, you know, I started. We started. You know, I mentioned we started thinking about this in in 2016, early 2017. We we raised our first funding in 2018, and and about uh, two two and a half years later, we finally launched the protocol itself. And um, I like to uh, think about it in in three phases. Um, with this first phase, you know, we did this zero to one invention. Uh, Pocket is truly novel, even compared to its peers across the protocol blockchain space. Uh, we're using a different economic model. We forked um, uh, uh, some some of the consensus stuff um, or some of the core code that operates these things, uh, and and we were kind of in in uncharted territory from the beginning and that you know that first year uh was really spent just just fixing things <laughs> to be honest um we had several chain halts which are very 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 bad you don't want to have a chain halt um uh, blockchain is supposed to move continuously um uh you know we had instability with with stuff like that uh our, our quality of service uh was also not good I, I referenced you know two seconds loading pocket was taking two or more seconds to load early on um, which, uh, uh, you know, no one's going to sit on their computer or their phone and wait for their balance to load for two seconds. So, you know, we were a small team of 15 people, um, uh, you know, we had grown up to 20 uh, by, by 2021. 
but uh, we were just a small team of folks kind of just um, hacking together solutions on this code that really wasn't ours because you know na- the nature of the of the blockchain space is, is is everything is open source and it's very easy to fork and, and use other models and this sort of thing. So we forked some code. We made a ton of adjustments and changes and modifications and 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 uh, we're kind of in this uncharted territory trying to build out this this network of, of nodes while trying to drive traffic and trying to build this this blockchain at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, things kind of came. Um, I think we hit a couple inflection points in in summer of 2021. Uh, where we, you know, we, we were about a year old. We had just launched our flagship product. So, 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 so we understand here we're we're building a blockchain uh, from effectively from scratch. Uh, we're operating all of this infrastructure. Uh, we have a, a DevOps team. We have a, a backend API team. We've got a front end team, um, uh, uh, and then we've got kind of the sales team <laughs> that is trying to drive drive growth through this front end product that we built. So we've got, you know. Because there's not much out there, you kind of have to build everything, basically, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is which is hard and painful and, and, and expensive. Um, so we finally kind of got all the pieces together <laughs> uh, somehow uh, uh, after about um, a year of of being together uh, or of a year of, of working on this. And and our kind of KPI or, or the main metric that we use in Pocket is, is this idea of a relay, which is which is basically a, an API request, right? You do an API request, and the node serves it serves it back, and um, you know that counts as one unit within you know the, the protocol, right? And uh, we had a couple really um, important things. Uh, one, like I mentioned, we got stability on the consensus side of the protocol, and we got the quality of service and the speed and the latency down to about five hundred milliseconds, which, while not fast. If you're a Web three developer, uh, five hundred milliseconds was fast enough for many things that people were building at the time. Um, and uh, we made two really important decisions that summer. Um, one, we decided to subsidize all of the traffic uh, for folks uh, to help bootstrap the network and prove that this thing called Pocket Network could could operate at scale. Uh, because you know we're trying to get people to use the thing, and we're doing 10 million requests a day, and you know that app alone is doing 100 million requests a day, and they're just like, how the hell am I going to trust? This little protocol to um, uh, uh, to send all my traffic when, at the end of the day, a developer or, or anyone operating a business really just you know wants their infrastructure to work, right? Mm-hmm. People, there's a saying, or people don't notice infrastructure until it breaks, right? And uh, we were kind of in that position, so we made the decision to subsidize all the traffic. So in Pocket, I'm not going to get into super deep detail of how it works, but basically, we paid for the traffic with our Pocket cryptocurrency, our tokens, basically at the end of the day. Um, and that allowed us to say, Hey, you know, give us a try. We're free basically, um, uh, at the end of the day. Um, and the other really important thing that we did was, um, we decided to add as many blockchains as possible. Um, at the time, uh, it was really only the major ones that were very heavily supported like Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, Matic at the time. Then there were a couple others, but, but there was a ton of other new blockchains coming out, uh, that were either. Uh, very, very sparsely or lightly supported or not supported at all. Um, so the, with with their needs and our kind of, you know, crickety thing, um, uh, we kind of started to, to to gain some adoption through that. Um, and at the time, this was probably June, July, 2021. We were, we were doing, um, we were doing about 20, uh, we were doing about 10 million requests a day or relays a day through the network. And we, I remember setting a goal. We had our offsite, um, uh, uh, in October, uh, of, of that year. And, and we were hitting, um, you know, from June or July to October, we were hitting about 30 to 40 million requests a day. We had set a goal. Okay. Let's hit a hundred million requests a day by the end of the year. Um, well, we ended up hitting, uh, uh, 300 million requests by the end of the year. And, and from June or July, we actually hit, you know, a billion requests a day in about 10 months. Uh, so by about April uh, of 2022, we actually hit um, a billion requests a day. And, and uh, let me say that caused um, for me as a founder, uh, the year of 2022 was was by far the most difficult year I've had operating pocket, um, uh, uh, you know, operating a, a cryptocurrency or building a cryptocurrency in a protocol 
with a community uh, with a very large uh, base of folks uh, who are holding your token and using your token to, to run nodes. Uh, these are very public things. Um, you know, uh, don't don't tell my lawyers, but it's very similar to a public company. We're just you know hundred times hundred times less resources, right? Mm-hmm. And through that massive massive growth, um, uh, uh, expectations for what we were capable of doing went through the roof. We were no one knew about us before this. Like really, we were really no one no one knew about us. And uh, really, last year was a whole process of of you know. Uh, uh, contending with these expectations, uh, dealing with the public markets, uh, you know, the token going up to an all-time high and then going down to, to basically the prices that that we launched at, right? And this, you mm-hmm. know, this causes a whole bunch of noise and a whole bunch of issues. And while we're growing, things are breaking. And, um, you know, we hired our, our now COO and he went and grew the team from, you know, we were 20 people uh, in our, which 22 people in our offsite in, in October to almost 80 people a year later. And that by itself comes with its own challenges, despite, you know, notwithstanding all the other exogenous uh, things that are happening within the markets and and everything like that. And um, uh, it's really a process of of understanding and really making a ton of mistakes, to be completely honest, um, in terms of people putting people in in the wrong positions, um, hiring the wrong people, uh, uh, learning about that, uh, learning of really what we need, understanding what the baseline is. of, of expectations of excellence to really kind of meet those expectations um, uh, that that everyone else had of us, and it was really just a, a, a really just a, a roller coaster of of a year. Um, you know, having more capital in the bank than we ever had before, um, as well. Uh, you know, we had we had really up until up until we launched, we never had more than three or four months of runway in the bank. At any one point in time, and, and twice we lost. We we went to the edge and, and couldn't pay, almost couldn't pay payroll until a couple of days previous or a week previous, right? And mm-hmm. and you know, contending with that, telling ourselves, yeah, we'll never spend money, and then we end up spending and wasting a ton of money, right? Um, as an example, and 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 um, you know, these are just kind of lessons that you know I feel like uh, uh, they're 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 hard to learn um, unless you experience it at the end of the day. And you've got so many different uh, constituents, so many stakeholders across the board, and um, you're trying to make the best decisions you possibly can for, uh, for everyone. Right. Um, And then, you know, we go from launching this thing and growing the thing to, to, you know, that was really kind of phase two, right. Um, To then saying, Hey, you know, we grew a lot. Let's now, you know, we've proven out the value prop. People are willing to use us. It's a very different conversation. We're doing a billion, rather than, you know, 20 or 30 million. Uh, okay, let's monetize this, right? Um, we feel like we can charge. We feel like, you know, the quality of service, the latency got down to about 200 milliseconds, uh, which is on par with our centralized counterpart. So we have a decentralized network of nodes that we don't control that are incentivized to provide this data. And the quality of service is on par with our centralized counterparts, which in my opinion is is one of our biggest achievements because many people said that this wasn't, possible before. I mean, you know, many people yeah. didn't fund us because they said it wasn't possible. Right. Um, and, and now it's this shift from building this protocol to building this business on top of a protocol, uh, which is a whole complete different paradigm shift as well, uh, in terms of just how you operate a company. Right. Um, so then just going through this evolution last year and, you know, there's a big, uh, there's a, there's a whole word, um, uh, called progressive decentralization, uh, that's that's thrown around. That's I think a, an investor that I really deeply respect uh, coined, and um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the word. I prefer the word uh, pragmatic decentralization. Uh, and and what I mean by that is, you know, when you say progressive decentralization, you're kind of starting out as a centralized company and kind of figuring it out as you go. The challenge with that is that you have kind of traditional business incentives that clash against the incentives of building this public good, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want to give things away. It's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but in blockchain land, the more you give away, the more value accrues to um, uh, to the protocol, right? Uh, so you have these, um, uh, if, if you're progressively decentralizing, if you don't have those right guardrails um, in place, uh, it's very easy to kind of veer past and go down a different path. But thankfully, we, I think, pragmatically decentralized and kind of built these guardrails from the beginning and said, hey, you know, our nodes need to be decentralized and our governance needs to be decentralized. Uh, and, and, and that really is what's enabled, um, us to be, feel comfortable 
building this business on top of pocket in the first place. And really just the first example of it. But um, at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, it's just a lot, a lot happened and a lot of information and a lot of people uh, and a lot of really smart people telling me what they think, people that I really respect. And, and um, you know, just sifting through all this uh, from the community, from, you know, token holders, from, from, you know, investors and, you know, our own team, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's, uh, it was a lot to, to take in, but, you know, six to nine months later, um, things are feeling much more stable. And I think we've ended up, you know, getting, getting to the other side of it, but, but it was truly a, um, a roller coaster. So let's unpack a couple things there. The, uh, the first, the team, how, how did the team adjust to that hyper growth and then, and then slow down and then back to, you know, building a business, a sustainable business. Like how did, how did they, how did they adjust during some of those twists and turns? It was hard. Uh, if I, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't have grown so fast. Um, we, we had attrition. We lost uh, some really good people. Uh, we lost uh, some of the culture um, that I think that, that really um, uh, was, was important uh, with what we're building. Um, and, um, uh, if we're, if we're really, you know, on a mission to, 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 to build this kind of capture resistant censorship resistant kind of base layer of infrastructure for all of web three, um, you know, you kind of have to have this kind of pirate mentality, right. And, and we lost a little bit of that. And as a result, I think, um, you know, uh, it was, it was hard, um, uh, uh things, uh, it's a pro tip, uh, hiring really fast doesn't mean you ship faster, uh, it yeah. creates more, it creates more process. Um, uh, and, uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, you have your best people, um, uh, you know, almost wasting time, um, uh, helping, helping, uh, or not having the ability to kind of just move and execute and build. Right. Um, and, uh, that was probably the, the hardest learning lesson that I had, um, you know, that led to us going to from 20 to, to almost 80 and, uh, you know, we ended up, uh, going down to, to 40, right. Over, over the last three to four months. And, um, you know, when you ask how the team reacted, it was, uh, just go, 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 um, you know, things, things happening and, and, um, uh, uh you know, you kind of get lost in the fog of war, um, in, in many ways. And, and, uh, uh, you know, looking back into it, you know, if, if I could have redone things, I, I definitely wouldn't have hired so fast, but, um, you know, nothing was, was fatal. We, we, we managed to, to learn from our mistakes. And, um, you know, I think that's just the, you know, it's not an uncommon experience, let's say, I think from, from founders across the board. Not, not at all. Not at all. And another, uh, common experience alongside of it is that the faith in the CEO or the leadership team is, is tested along the way or challenged along the way. It was, did that happen at, at pocket? You know, did you ever, did you experience a shift in terms of, team trust and, and morale? Absolutely. Um, I think less so um, internally. There's definitely a little bit internally, but it's more so externally. You know, early 2022, we were, you know, you know, kingmakers, right? It, you know, everyone's like, oh, doing the best, everything. You know, everyone's making a ton of money. We're doing a ton of relays, right? And, and then when things yeah. go south, it's, uh, uh, it's a different story. You know? And admittedly, you know, definitely far from, I definitely made, made far from, uh, uh, the perfect, uh, decisions at the time. But, um, you know, I think a lot of it was, was fair, but at the same time, you know, uh, uh you gotta be able to adapt and, and adjust. And if you don't, you know, it's a, it's adapt or die. Right. And I think, um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you just need time, uh, to prove things out and, um, people can, uh, make their own judgments as, as time goes on. Right. Uh, but when you're in the heat of the moment, um, you know, things are flying at you and, and, and you just kind of got to, you know, hold faith that you are making the right uh, decisions uh, at the end of the day. Right. Um, obviously you're, you know, I'm taking feedback from so many different people and, and, and processing it and, and, and trying to make the right decisions as well. I'm not making this, these decisions in a vacuum either. So, um, uh, you know, that was definitely, uh, uh, trying and, 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 uh, you know, we're, 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 we're definitely much more steady now. Um, I think we're proving some things out. I actually get a lot of 2021 vibes, uh, from, from where we're at today, where we kind of have had no relays, quality of service was getting better. Uh, just, we have a higher baseline today. Right. And, and those expectations are also higher. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I, I would anticipate that we'll be, um, better prepared to, uh, to, to, um, exceed or match those expectations, um, uh, as we 
continue to figure things out. What was the what was the toughest decision you had to make along the way? Oh man, uh, toughest decision. Um, you know, I think uh, probably letting go of 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 my early key leaders. Uh, that's probably the hardest thing to to to, to do at the time. Um, uh, you know, you work with, you work with people for so long, and they get you to to where you are. Um, and, and being able to, um, it, it's very hard to go through the mental process of acknowledging like, okay, this person has been with us for so long. They've been so loyal. They've done so many things. Um, but, 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 you know, realizing that, you know, they're not able to help for the next stage that we're trying to get to. Um, I think that, um, those kinds of conversations are by far some of the hardest conversations that I've had, um, uh, uh, over these last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Those conversations are, are always really tough. <laughs> um, even when you know it's the right thing and even when the other person knows it's the right thing, it's, it yeah. doesn't make it, doesn't make it any easier. Yeah. So, um, uh, we look down the road a few years from now, you know, where does, where does pocket sit? Where does, you know, where, where, where's the company at in a few years? Yeah, we were at, uh, well, one, we've launched uh, the new version of Pocket. Um, we've rebuilt, we've been rebuilding it from the ground up. Uh, but I, I view Pocket as um, uh, what will, will be a mainstay for, for kind of Web3 infrastructure, you know, from less than a percent of market share to, you know, 10, 15, 20 percent potentially um, of, of kind of this, this kind of RPC or infrastructure market share. Um, I think, uh, I hope that people will, will look at our model that is truly novel and unique has made it challenging at times to convince people that this is the right decision or to raise money, um, that people have, uh, more people have forked and, and, and copied our model, um, that our governance as well has continued to improve. And also that people look at it as a, um, as a model example of how to operate a public good at scale, uh, which I think we are in the middle of proving. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, having our eye on, on some of the future exciting stuff that I think can be built on top of pocket um, uh, when it comes to uh, some of the uh, novel uh, 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 things that could be built using the, the, the architecture of the protocol itself, given that we have a decentralized network of nodes that um, are permissionless, right? Um, you know, I would anticipate us not being the only folks driving business to the protocol, uh, that's going to be a huge deal. Um, you know, uh, there was something that happened last year uh, uh, with 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 an, on, an, an, an anonymous mixer uh, called Tornado Cash, and um, uh, I don't know if you read about this, but uh, basically, uh, uh, some you know uh, uh, the government clamped down on this uh, mixer, and, and uh, uh, the, the team that were operating Tornado Cash started using Pocket Network. Uh, uh, since it's a decentralized uh, uh, version of, of being able to host and, and operate these nodes. Uh, but the challenge was that due to just constraints and trade-offs that we have to make, we were the only ones that had to serve that traffic. And and uh, we had to shut that down. I hope in the future I can point them to, you know, in a couple of years and say, hey, you know, Tornado Cash or anyone else, um, use our SDK and, and um, you know, use truly, truly use the infrastructure in a permissionless manner. Uh, is, mm-hmm. is really one of the most exciting things for me. Exciting, exciting times. Uh, Pocket Web three, just in general. Um, so um, to close us off here, I always ask the same five kind of key questions around your growth and your company's growth. And the first one is: What is the top metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on? Yeah, I'd say uh, protocol revenue. Um, uh, so this is the ability for, um, uh, to, to close the loop of the supply and demand marketplace of pocket. And that results in at the end of the day, protocol revenue. Nice. All right. Second one is a top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. Uh, the, uh, feelings you might feel, um, may, may be, may feel very wide. 
in reality, what's happening, it's, 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 it's likely, you know, you may perceive them as going very, very up and down, but in reality, it's probably not as good as it is and not as bad as it is. Um, so, so as things are going haywire, um, keep that in mind, either on the good or the bad. All right. Favorite book or podcast that's helped you to grow as a founder? Favorite book or podcast that's uh, helped me grow as a founder? Um, Acquired.fm. Um, everything from Acquired. Uh, I love the super deep dives in the history of, uh, uh, I, you know, I, you know uh, uh, LVMH recently. They did one. They've done the NFL. They've done, you know, uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, just really broad set of the historical, you know, uh, TSMC. Uh, just it's really cool how they dive into the history of these different companies. Um, I would also put the Internet History podcast in there as well. I studied international studies, basically a history degree. I love history, and it's really important that we don't try to reinvent the wheel when there's just um, so much, so many, so many stories that we can learn from. Yeah, yeah, the changing world order. All right, uh, piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom. <laughs> A uh, piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom. Um, who does it, is it, is it, is it, um, oh man. Um, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom. Um, is it still traditional wisdom that the financial system is, uh, uh, stable at this point <laughs> unfortunately it probably still is traditional wisdom yeah well i i, I would say um not that <laughs> i i would i would say i would say buy some hard assets whether it's property or cold or bitcoin or something like that um that uh, would be would be my personal uh, advice i'm gonna throw out another one that you also said earlier hiring more people doesn't necessarily make things go faster yeah 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 yeah, it's, yeah. That's the way. All right. Last one. What is going to be the title of your autobiography when you've accomplished all you set out to? Oh, uh, throwing darts. <laughs> all right. A, a little context, guns. a little context. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's, um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've lived my life by, by, by throwing, uh, throwing darts and, and, um, uh, uh, learning, learning from, from, from my messes, I suppose. So, uh, my old blog used to be called uh, Throwing Darts uh, back in the day. Bullseye, baby. Yeah. All right, Michael, you've given so much to our uh, listeners today. So I always allow for a little bit of self-promotion at the end. How can those listening in help you out? Yeah, um, I'd say if you're curious about Web3, um, go to our Discord, check out our forums. Um, it's truly a, a, a really fascinating community. Um, you'll see governance proposals. You'll see people running infrastructure. If you're remotely technical, you know, try to run a node. Uh, just if you're curious about Web3, honestly, I think Pocket Network, the community is 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 one of the um, strongest examples in the space of of um, a true Web3 community that is that is technically focused and not focused on um, you know number go up um, uh, at the end of the day. So uh, I would go to pocked.network or forum.pocked that's p-o-k-t dot network um, you can google pocket network you'll find you'll find all the information right there all right awesome man thanks for joining us this has been uh this has been wonderful thanks sir it was a pleasure if you loved today's episode of the dirt make sure you rate it on your favorite platform and if you really like this go ahead and leave us an honest review thanks again for tuning in to the dirt <laughs>